Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor and his companions in a short adventure as they become embroiled in a murder mystery in The Black Orchid. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story or on any of the stories that we cover here on Time Travelling Team. So to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, X formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. But now, Penny, if you wouldn't mind giving our abbreviated story recap, you're about to say something. Go ahead before I new start. Uh <laughs> No, I was going to say that as this uh, the night that we were recording, it is the 23rd of November, so happy Doctor Who birthday to you. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Happy Doctor Who birthday! Yay! Um, actually, Paul sent me a lovely picture earlier on um, on X um, that like it's just like, it's the number 60. If you what zoom it, in, it's, it's, it's all the yeah, like, little like Simpsons versions of the characters. It was really yeah. cool. I reckon um, I recognize a few things. Uh, I recognize the creature from the pit, um, the giant fish head thing from uh, Underwater Menace. What else was there? There was uh, Sarah, Harry, and the Fourth Doctor from Genesis of the Daleks. Mm. There was Barbara. I know this was up in like the top left corner. I saw the robot. I saw the fucking costume from this story literally was the first thing because i zoomed in on it on my phone and literally the first thing i zoomed in on was that i was like for fuck's sake um but yeah it's, it's a really cool picture um yes it is so thank you paul for sending that thank you paul right. now though on to the story part one in an english country estate a servant is strangled to death by an unseen assailant who growls and hisses as he does so the figure wanders the halls of the house until they are eventually found and tied up before being placed on a bed where they are watched over by an Amazonian native. The following morning, the TARDIS lands at the train station of Cranley Hall. Adric announces that they have arrived back on Earth, but Tegan says that she is more than happy to stay on the TARDIS for a bit longer. The doctor says that they have arrived in the year 1925 and leads everyone outside to investigate their surroundings. After explaining the purpose of a train station to a curious Adric, the doctor leads them around to the front of the station, where they are greeted by a chauffeur. The chauffeur introduces himself as Tanner and says that his employer, Lord Cranley, is expecting them, surprising them all when he calls the doctor by his title. He then becomes shocked when he sees Nyssa, who then asks what he is staring at. Tanner apologises before hurriedly ushering them into the car, telling them that they are late for the cricket match being held on Lord Cranley's estate. When they arrive, the match is at full swing and they are met by Lord Charles Cranley, who stares at Nyssa as well. He explains that she is the spitting image of his fiancée, Anne. The Doctor introduces Nyssa and the others before Charles says that they need to get back to the game and offers the Doctor some spare gear, when in a state of confusion, he says he forgot his own equipment. The Doctor joins the game after Charles explains that he was sent for as a replacement for a friend of his. Nevertheless, he proves to be an exceptional batsman. Whilst the game continues, Charles introduces Nyssa and the others to his mother, Lady Cranley, and her friend, Sir Robert Moore, the chief constable of the local police. They too are astounded by the resemblance between Nyssa and Anne, and are convinced that they must be related. Nyssa, however, says that she is not, and that she comes from the Traken Empire. The game continues, with the Doctor's team taking the fielding, and he proves to be just as good a bowler as he is a batsman, and leads Charles' team to victory. Charles invites them to the manor house, where unbeknownst to them, their arrival is watched by the Amazonian from an upstairs window. Charles introduces the Doctor to his mother and Sir Robert, who gives the Doctor a moment to pause when he says his performance at the match was akin to the Master's. 
However, he eases the tension by clarifying that he means the renowned cricketer W.G. Grace. Both Charles and his mother insisted the doctor and the others attend their annual fundraising fancy dress ball later that evening. Tegan says that they don't have anything to wear, but Charles says that they always keep spare costumes on hand. Just then, Anne arrives and everyone agrees that the resemblance between her and Nyssa is uncanny. Anne then also assumes that they are related and asks where she is from. Charles orders the butler to serve drinks and as they relax, Tegan notices a flower in a glass case on a nearby table. Lady Cranny says that it is a rare black orchid, found by her older son George on the Orinoco River in South America. Tegan recognises George's name, remembering that he is a famous botanist during her own time. Lady Cranny says that George never returned from his last expedition two years beforehand. She reveals that Anne was originally engaged to him, but after he was lost, Charles proposed to her. Charles then says that they had best start getting freshened up for the ball and leads the Doctor and Adric to their quarters. He shows the Doctor to his costume, which is a Harlequin's outfit, before going to see after Adric. As from the house, the hissing stranger gets loose of his bonds and knocks out the Amazonian when he returns to the room. In their quarters, Tegan and Nissa discuss the different forms of dancing on Earth and Traken as they get ready. Anne comes in and says that she has a fun idea before presenting Nissa with an identical outfit to her own. She says that no one will be able to tell them apart, but says that she must take care to cover a birthmark on her left shoulder so as not to spoil the surprise. Meanwhile, the doctor goes for a shower and after he leaves, the mysterious figure goes into his room via a secret passageway behind the painting. However, he takes cover when the doctor comes out to investigate the noise of the passageway opening and he goes inside to take a look. The figure then closes the passageway behind the doctor, sealing him in, before taking his costume and fleeing. With no other choice, the doctor wanders the passageway trying to find a way out, regretting the fact that he didn't leave after the cricket match. Outside, the party is in full swing and Nissa and Anne decide to pull their trick by going outside the house and emerging a few minutes later in order to continue the confusion as to which one of them is which. Tegan smiles as she dances with Sir Robert, explaining that she knows the secret as to which one is the real Anne. Lady Cranley then spots the Amazonian and goes to speak with him in private, where he tells her that his friend has gotten loose. She tells him to follow her and they go inside. The rest of the guests continue to enjoy the party. Suddenly, someone wearing the Doctor's Harlequin outfit appears and asks either Anne or Nyssa to dance. Inside, the Doctor manages to emerge from the secret passageway into an empty wing of the house and searches for it for any signs of life. He finds another secret passageway that leads into the Amazonian's room. He then goes back to the hallway to find the real exit and when he opens the door to what turns out to be a cupboard, he finds the dead servant's body stuffed inside. In the main hall of the house, the Harlequin refuses to let his partner, who is the real Anne, leave, which frightens her. She calls out for help as he grapples her, and a servant appears, but the Harlequin strangles the man to death, causing Anne to faint. Part 2. The Doctor returns to the secret passageway, where he finds Lady Cranley in deep discussion with the Amazonian, who she introduces as an old family friend named Latoni. He tells them about the body, which Lady Cranley is reluctant to believe. The Doctor shows them the body, and Lady Cranley sadly accepts the reality of the situation. She tells the doctor that he was a servant and asks him to keep things quiet for the time being. The doctor agrees and asks to be taken back to his room. Lady Cranley agrees and takes him there, where he finds his costume on the bed. As from the house, Anne is placed into a bed by the mysterious man, who is heavily scarred and has swollen features. Suddenly, there is a noise outside which causes Anne to wake up and she screams to be let out. The door opens and she sees Lady Cranley outside and she collapses crying into her arms. The Tony carefully slips inside and closes the door, which goes unnoticed by the weeping Anne. Lady Cranley takes her downstairs to get a drink to calm her nerves. Meanwhile, Charles and Sir Robert are discreetly told about the death of the servant inside the main hall, and they go to investigate. 
They spot Anne's mask, and Charles assures Sir Robert that it belongs to Anne, as he was able to determine Mrs. identity outside. The doctor appears in his costume, but before Charles can tell him what happened, Lady Cranley and Anne appear, and Anne accuses him of being the one who attacked her. The doctor protests his innocence, but Anne insists that he attacked her and murdered the servant. Sir Robert tells Charles to send all the other guests away whilst he calls for the police. The doctor asks Anne if the person that attacked her was wearing a mask, and when she confirms it, the doctor says that it must have been someone else in an identical costume. Sir Robert thinks that this makes sense, highlighting Anne's trick with her and Mrs. outfits, but Anne says that she was in charge of all the outfits and there was only one Harlequin. The doctor looks to Lady Cranley for support, but she's reluctant to give it, so he asks what his motive would be. Sir Robert says that he has known Anne her whole life and knows that she wouldn't lie. He asks the doctor who he really is, warning him that he's accused of murder. The doctor tries the honest approach and talks about his nature as a Time Lord, but Sir Robert doesn't believe him. He then mentions the other dead body in the secret passageway, but Lady Cranley says that he is making it up. He says he can show him, and Lady Cranley goes with them, telling Anne to go to Charles. Outside, Adric, Teagan and Nyssa, having heard the accusations, protest that the doctor is innocent. Charles tells them that they should all go inside the house as the police will be there soon. He is then told that there is a call waiting for him. The call is from his friend, who has called to apologise for not being able to send someone to the cricket game, further incriminating the doctor. In the secret passageway, the doctor discovers that the body has disappeared, and the doctor insists that both the dead body and Latoni are both real, but Lady Cranley again feigns ignorance. Sir Robert brings them all downstairs, where Charles reveals the news that he received from his friend. Sir Robert says that he would have to be brought to the police station for further questioning. En route, Nissa suggests that they show Sir Robert the TARDIS to back up their story, and the doctor agrees. He convinces Sir Robert to take them to the train station, but when they get there, they discover the TARDIS is gone. However, when they arrive to the police station, they discover it was brought there, and the constables have been trying to get into it. The doctor produces the key and invites Sir Robert and his sergeant to go inside and take a look. Back at the Cranley house, Lady Cranley tells Charles about the death of the other servant. He insists that he tell Sir Robert the truth, refusing to let the doctor be blamed for the death. Anne then appears, and Charles says that it is time that she knew the truth as well of what has been going on, ignoring his mother's protests. Elsewhere in the house, the scarred man gets free of his restraints again and kills Latoni, who in his dying moments shoves the key to the door through a crack in the floorboards. In a desperate attempt to get out, the scarred man sets fire to the door. Back at the police station, Sir Robert is amazed by what he has seen and admits that the doctor was telling the truth of his origins. Another constable enters and tells him that he has received a call from Charles, telling them about the dead body from the passageway. Sir Robert says that he needs to get back to the manor, but the doctor says that he can get there quicker in the TARDIS. They land on the lawn and emerge just as Anne runs out crying, horrified at the truth of what she has just learned. They go inside and find the scarred man confronting Charles and Lady Cranley, who are attempting to calm him down. He suddenly pushes the doctor aside and grabs Anne, retreating upstairs with her. Charles sees smoke from the fire that he set and orders the fire brigade to be called. He then rushes upstairs with the doctor and Adric, but the flames have grown too strong and they are forced back down. Sir Robert demands to know who the scarred man is, and Lady Cranley reveals that it is her son, George. The doctor says that he can't wait for her to reveal the full story, telling everyone that he needs to find George. Lady Cranley says that he won't hurt Anne, but the doctor reveals that it was actually Nyssa that he took. They all rush outside and see George carrying Nyssa to the roof. The doctor tells the others to try and distract him whilst he goes inside to follow them. Charles then starts to climb to the roof, and Sir Robert demands to know the truth from Lady Cranley. 
She says that the black orchid that George took was sacred to a tribe in the Amazon, and they tortured him as punishment for his transgressions before cutting out his tongue. The ordeal drove him mad, and he only survived thanks to Latoni and his tribe. She says that they have been tending to him in secret since Latoni brought him back two years ago. Charles reaches the roof and pleads with George to let Nyssa go. George pushes him to the ground just as the doctor appears, who points out that the real land is down below. Seeing his mistake, George lets Nyssa go, and she goes to the doctor. Charles thanks him and moves to hug George, but he recoils in terror and accidentally falls off the roof to his death. A few days later, after George's funeral, the doctor and the others say goodbye to Charles and Sir Robert and Lady Cranley. Tegan, Nissa and Adric are given their fancy dress costumes as a parting gift, and Lady Cranley gives the doctor a copy of George's book about the Black Orchid. End of the story. Well, that was quicker than <laughs> what I've been used to for the last, I will say, what, nearly two years at this stage? Mm. Uh, a year and a half, a year and a half, because we did Suntaran, I think, back in April. So, yeah, a year and a half. Um, I wonder if the trivia section will also be as <laughs> brief. Short and sweet and to the point. Uh yes. Let's see. So the air date of the story is the 1st and 2nd of March 1982. The writer for the story is Terence Dudley. This is the second of three Doctor Who writing credits for Terence. We previously saw his work quite recently in Fort Doomsday as well as K9 and Company. And as I mentioned then, he did also direct Megalos. Same person. Um, and he'll go on to write one more story, which is The King's Demons. The director of the story is Ron Jones. This is the first of six directing credits for Ron. We'll see his work again in Time Flight, Ark of Infinity, Frontios, Vengeance of Varos, and Mind Warp. The working title for the story was The Beast. I think I prefer Black Orchid. Yeah. <laughs> Personally. Um, Peter Davison claimed that Terence Dudley told him that he had written the script for a murder mystery series, found it in a bottom drawer, dusted it off and just turned it into a Doctor Who story. <laughs> Which yeah, like, I can see it. It is like a very mm. um, Miss Marple sort of Agatha Christie-esque yeah. story. Um, Jonathan Turner had intended for a long time to direct this story himself. But he was overseeing season 19. He was also doing Canaan and Company at the same time. So that made it impossible. John Black was also asked. But again, he was also working on Canaan and Company. Um, and that's when Jonathan Turner suggested Ron Jones, who he knew from his days as a production manager. This is the first two-part serial of the 1980s. And as we said, the first since seasons 12, season 12's The Suntaran Experiment, which was back in 1975. Outdoor conditions deteriorated during filming, so the actors were required to perform through wind and rain, which I will say didn't come across on screen, so no. well done to everyone involved for that. Yes, absolutely. While other stories have featured indications that the Doctor likes cricket, so Rybos, Castrovalva, Fort Doomsday, even like Ark in Space, because he had the cricket ball in his pocket, this is the only televised story to predict to predict to depict the doctor actually playing cricket with that in mind peter davison was a keen cricketer and he actually did play all of the doctor cricket scenes himself 
Um, apparently, he did quite well, and he bowled out his opponent. So they actually played the game, and he did quite well. Yeah. The Fifth Doctor's particular love of the game will later be developed in other media, so it's a significant feature in a number of audio stories and also in a comic as well. I think the scene where he bowls out his opponent, I think they actually got that on the first take. Mm. But yeah, so apparently like, he was just really good at cricket. Who knew? <laughs> Um, Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding were delighted to take part in the dance sequences. They thought it was really fun. Matthew Waterhouse, though, was less enthusiastic. And he suggested that Adric would be more interested in the food. So he wouldn't have to participate in the choreography. Uh, Gary Downey claimed that Waterhouse had two left feet. <laughs> and just wasn't good. Uh, the scene where George Connolly plummets off the roof actually went wrong. Um, the stuntman, Gareth Milne, um, actually missed his cushioned target, and so he actually struck the ground with his legs. Oh. Um, and apparently, no, I, I didn't go back to re-listen to it, and I might do, but apparently, well, actually, no, I won't, because it actually would freak me out for this. Apparently, you can actually hear it in the finished program. Fortunately, I don't know how, he actually wasn't too seriously hurt. He had really bad bruising in his legs, though. Sarah Sutton found playing two roles tiring due to constant costume changes. Um, Ron Jones recalled that finding someone with her build was actually amazingly problematic. (laughs) And her double, uh, who was Vanessa Payne, wasn't even the same height as her. Um, He was sort of saying that, like, Sarah's figure, she's a very slight person. She's quite short, and trying to find someone to match her build was actually incredibly difficult. Once again, filming suffered from industrial action. We're seeing a lot of industrial action, particularly during John Nathan Turner's run. Obviously, it's nothing to do with him. It's just they're impacted by mm-hmm. industrial action a lot. But I do know from a little bit of future knowledge that like industrial action is going to continue to impact Doctor Who um, right up until pretty much the end of uh, the classic era. If, In this case... This be- if I'm thinking right, would this be like around Thatcher's era? Like, so you'd I think you'd have a lot of unions and that kind of stuff. Not happy with what she possibly. Uh, when was Margaret Thatcher prime minister? Uh, yeah, uh, British Conservative Party politician and prime minister, nineteen seventy nine to nineteen ninety. So yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> it's all her fault. Um, in this particular instance, the industrial action was the electricians' union. Um, and although Ron Jones worked quickly and Jonathan Turner authorised a costly one-hour overrun, two scenes in Anne's bedroom in which George spied on his former fiance had to be abandoned. Um, Jones subsequently tried to repair the damage by using shots of George, which had been recorded the previous day. The home that was used for this was owned by Earl Delawar. Um, he was a bit reluctant to let his home be featured in the series, but he relented on the condition that personal photography be controlled. So he just wanted control over that. Um, according to the DVD commentary, none of the regular cast actually enjoyed the script itself. Um, although Sarah Sutton admitted that she disliked it less than Davison, uh, Fielding and Waterhouse did. Um, collectively, they felt that it 
to be comprised of Edwardian-era stereotypes and no mystery or dramatic tension whatsoever. So we'll see when we get to our section if we agree with that assessment. Ahmed Khalil, who played the Tony, had to have his voice dubbed in for certain scenes due to the lip disc. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't That can't have been a real lip disc. Like... I didn't it looked pay too really much attention fake. to it. Yeah. Like, it looked like a prosthetic that they just put on over his lip. Mm. Um, but I, I, it was very obvious when his voice was dubbed. Oh, yeah. Um, to preserve the mystery of his character's identity, uh, Gareth Millen was actually credited as The Unknown for Part 1 and in Radio Times, and then as George Cranley for Part 2. Although Sarah Sutton was credited on screen as both Nyssa and Anne for both episodes, she was only billed as Nyssa in Radio Times, which I think is a bit unfair because they're two distinctly different characters. Mm -hmm. According to Eric Soward, this was John Nathan Turner's favourite story. On to our cast. So as Lady Cranley, we have Barbara Murray. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Barbara. Her non-Who credits include The Saint, The Indian Tales of Richard Kipling, The Caesars of Pompeii and The Bretts. Barbara passed away in 2014. Sir Robert Moore is played by Maury Watson. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Maury. His non-Who credits include The Quatermass Experiment, No Wreath for the General, The Palacers and The Darling Buds of May. Maury passed away in 2017. As Lord Charles Cranley, we have Michael Cochran. He's the first of two appearances for Michael. We will see him again in Ghostlight. He's also done a number of Doctor Who audio stories, by the way. Which I'm really curious about because he has a very distinctive Mm. voice. He does. So I'm I'm curious how he'd come across in audio. Uh, His non-Who credits include The Saint, A Different Loyalty, Victory, Living... A recent obsession of mine called the midwife, called 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 the midwife, <laughs> called the midwife, and something else he was in. It kind of has a bit of a Doctor Who connection as well. Um, he only played a small part in it, though. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, he was only in most of the stories, if not all. I think there was maybe one he wasn't in. Uh, what, what was it, Betty? Remind me again. Played Sir Henry Simerson, one of the arch nemesises of Richard Sharp in the Sharp series. Yeah, is there only one that he wasn't in? No, he's no. To be fair, no, he's only in. You see, he's in Sharp's Eagle, Sharp's Sword, Sharp's Regiment, and then we don't see him again until Sharp's. He's in the India one challenge, I think. Yes. Mm. Okay, so he's not in as many as I thought. I thought he was in one. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Yeah, uh, Trish could hear my smile through the the (laughs) microphone. Um, Simerson is one of the most detestable characters in the entire Sharp series. But Michael plays him so well that I love seeing him in it. He's He's so good. I also... I'm trying to remember because it's been a while now since I watched it. Because like during COVID, I just binged all of it. Um, didn't they try to give him a redemption arc in the India they, one? They they did at, in Sharp's Challenge. He become essentially he gets sunstroke and he uh, becomes nice. 
Yeah. Cured by the sun. <laughs> this is a guy who would routinely flog his own men. Like, this is a guy who wasn't a good soldier, bought his commission, no. bought his regiment, flogged his men, um, blamed everyone else, everyone else for his shortcomings, sold out an entire battalion just to make sure that Sharp died, um, tried to have him hunted like a dog across the, the moors. And yeah, he gets sunstroke and he's like, he finally calls him Richard and shakes his hand and I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but Someday when Doctor Who is long over, there'll be the Sharp yeah. podcast where we go back and do the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> and he has one of my favorite scenes in the entire series with David Troughton, who played mm. the, the Duke of Wellington in the first two Sharp stories. Uh, Sharp's Eagle, where like, Wellington just really slams him and it's like going, oh, it's so good. That's the you lost the colors speech. Yes, you lost. You, yeah, that's yeah. oh, so good. Oh, the, or the dressing down. The you lost yeah. the colors. Yeah. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, George Cranley is a, is played by, as I said, Gareth Milne. Is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Gareth. He is actually primarily known as a stuntman, and he actually added, acted as the stunt double for both Michael Cochran and Peter Davison. He's done extensive stunt work um, in other media, um, but some additional acting credits he has are in Bergerac, Taggart, The Magdalene Sisters, and Essex Boys, which also starred uh, Sean Bean. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finally, as Latoni, we have, as I mentioned, Ahmed Khalil is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Ahmed. His non Who credits include Watch All Night, The Good Guys, EastEnders, and The Bill. Ahmed passed away in 2021. And I did look it up, a picture of it. It is indeed a fake lip disc. It it, it looks really fake. I was like, yeah. Mm. It, it um, looks like he's. It looks like he's been on the end of a wooden spoon. Yeah, pretty much. Which is unfortunate. Like you could have just not done the lip disc, the lip disc thing, mm-hmm. and the character would have worked exactly the same. But mm-hmm. whatever. And um, we will not be discussing the Tony as a character in his own right. Because he's just he just doesn't do enough to really justify it. Yeah. So thank you so much for all that wonderful trivia. No as worries always. at all. No worries at all. No. I know that we geeked out over Sharp a fair bit, but Sharp is so good. <laughs> I don't yeah, care. We we did also have another sharp conversation um because of the lads over at Half Measures and their peak performance. Yes, we for Sean Bean and they were forcing you to narrow down your sharp decisions. Yep, pretty much. So we myself and Trish at lunch and work this uh, had to figure out who we felt or sorry, which we felt was the best performance by Sean Bean in an episode of Sharp. Mm. It's fucking tough. <laughs> Bastards who we love very, very dearly. <laughs> oh. But anyway, on to the, the topic at hand. So, uh, as always, we now go on to the character section of it, uh, where we discuss the Doctor, the prominent characters, the companions, any villains, which I don't think this story has. Um, so, yeah, this week we have the Doctor, we have Adric, Tegan, and Nyssa, we have Lady Cranley, Charles, and Sir Robert and George. Mm. 
Latoni, who we said really didn't have a whole lot of influence on the story. Uh, so yeah, you did the socials, so mm-hmm. you get to go first. Tell me, what did you think of the Doctor? Okay. It is established very firmly in this story that the Doctor likes cricket. We kind of suspected that before his choice of outfit. The fourth Doctor had a cricket ball in his pocket. We also discover in this story that he's very good at cricket. Mm -hmm. The Doctor's good at cricket. Yep, he's good at cricket. Have they mentioned he's fucking good at cricket? Could they spend any more time focusing on how good the man is at cricket? Is this Peter Davison's Planet of the Spiders? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Planet of the Spiders at least had a six episode runtime, which allowed for buffer. This is two episodes. There is not enough room for buffer. <laughs> Jesus with the cricket. Like, a couple of shots, you know, one or two of him batting, one or two of him. Bowling, bowling, whatever. Bowling. Would have been fine. But no. It went on for ages. And the story is only two episodes. So, like, that's not a criticism of the Doctor as such, or of Peter's portrayal. But it did, I did, it did find, have me going, okay, I know he can fucking play cricket. Move on. What is the plot? <laughs> the plot. Please don't have the plot just be the fucking game of cricket because so do why not. Um but yeah, so whatever. We've established that now. May it never come up ever again. In terms of the doctor himself, I am now fully one hundred and ten percent convinced the man just doesn't like Tegan. He he just doesn't like her. <laughs> At the beginning of the episode, he talks about like, oh, I've landed us back in London or trying to land back in London. And she's like, or Heathrow, and she's like, oh no, you don't have to do that. I told you I want to keep traveling with you. And he gives her this look as if she just shat on his shoe. And she's will you fuck off <laughs> and leave me alone? And I'm like, I don't know if it's that the stories were written out of order. I don't know if it's because they were produced out of order or whatever. But I have yet to see anything like super concrete in these stories so far that indicates he even likes her. <laughs> Never mind anything else. <laughs> He's constantly giving her a look of you know, last week it was she keeps banging on about wanting to go home. Then she finally realizes that she likes having adventures and she wants to go on an adventure. And now you're giving out to her for that as well. And I'm like, dude, like, dial it down for fuck's sake. She's not that <laughs> bad. Um, and then, you know, we have his whole thing with the cricket, as I mentioned. Then they go to the house and. I'm going to blame the script and not mm. Peter, but the bit where is it 
Charles says, oh, you learned from the master. Oh, I know. It's Sir Robert. Sir he Robert says his bowling, says, his bowling is, good, is as good as the master's. Yeah. And the doctor gets this look on his face of, oh, what? As if he's in a fucking pantomime. <laughs> I'm like, tone it the fuck down. <laughs> Jesus. Um, after that, like he has his expiration of the house and stuff like that. That's all fine. But then we get the arrest. And I'm like, at least try and defend yourself. Because he initially he's like, oh, Lady Cranley will vouch for me. And then he realizes that she's throwing him under a bus. And he's just like, well, I, but I, oh, fine. Take me away. And it's not even him that comes up with the idea of showing them the police box. Mm-hmm. Do you know that was Tegan, if I remember correctly? And I was, like, or was it Nissa? I think it was Nissa. Maybe it was Nissa. Yeah, it was, it was one of them anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, at least try and defend yourself, Jesus, dude. Um, and I think the last thing that kind of got my goat, um, which you and I have spoken about before, is can he pilot the TARDIS with a level of accuracy mm-hmm. or not? it's very plot required I think yeah and I'm starting to think that maybe he can travel in space i.e. from the back of the police station to the front door of the Cranley residence with absolutely no problem but he just can't do time and when he tries to do the two it goes wrong this is this is my sense (laughs) that there's something with the time rotor and the rest of it's fine (laughs) I don't know because, like, if you take into account, we'll say the hand of fear, mm. he went from Earth to Aldrad's planet, Castra, but it, it would it would have it's the same time. It's Earth, and then when he drops Sarah Jane back to Earth, he drops her in the wrong place. So I I don't think it. I mean, even with the short jumps. He's often said, like, oh, the short jumps are the most dangerous to plot because I can get them the most wrong. So I was like, it's very as plot dictates, I think. Yeah. But, like, with all of that coming in, um, I think for me, the doctor in this one, overall, he was fine. Like, the attitude to Tegan thing is starting to irritate me because I think it's unjustified. Mm. And I don't understand it. Um, because like moments when he would be maybe kind of justified in being a bit pissed off with her, he isn't. And moments when there's no justification, he is. And I'm like, okay. And again, is it shooting order? Is it writing order? Who knows? But ultimately, it seems like he... And like I mentioned last week, that the only one of his companions he seems to even fucking like is Nyssa. Mm-hmm. Which makes it very hard to... yeah to relate with him because we relate to the doctor via the companion. That is the point of the companion. If the doctor doesn't like the companions, it kind of makes me not like him. Do you know? Cause it feels yeah. like he doesn't like me cause they're my stand in. If he doesn't like Tegan, then he doesn't like me. Mm. Do you know? Particularly since Tegan is the modern earth companion. 
Although that, that that does kind of get flipped on its head, like when you grow to like the doctor and the new companion comes in, and you're like, uh, I'm not too keen on you. Here we just have, because we have a new batch of companions and a new doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like, you can have a companion that you don't like. But if the doctor likes them, then your dynamic with the doctor doesn't change. Hmm. But if you have a companion that you like or you're indifferent to, but the doctor doesn't like them. I was like, well, the companion is meant to represent us. So it's like the doctor doesn't mm. like us. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, but like, it's the same reason why I, you know, a lot of people struggle with William Hartnell in an unearthly child and the Daleks and edge of destruction. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get on or like the companions who we do like. And therefore, it makes them unlikable. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was a really long ramble about <laughs> the Doctor in a two-episode story. But mm. what did you think of him? I thought he was kind of dumb in this story. Mm. Like, so I didn't really pick up on the the Tegan thing as much as you did. Like I I did see like the withering look, all right, where she was like, "Oh, but I told you before, I don't mind um, uh, being delayed though." And it's like, "Oh, so now you finally don't care about." And it's one of those things of like, I in his head, oh, I brought you back, but now you don't care whether you're back or not. Um, but it's just like when he gets locked in the the secret passageway, it's like, okay. Fine, you know, you're locked in a secret passageway. You're trying to find a way out. No problem at all. But it's afterwards, as you said, like when he gets accused of um, killing the servant. And he's just like, (laughs) it kind of reminds you a small bit of Bill Bailey's character from Black Books. You know, the whole thing was like, there's, there's, there's an Indian. Notice that there's a, a like an Indian upstairs and there's a man in the cupboard. So there's an Indian in the cupboard. No, no, no. There's a Brazil, you know, where nuts come from. And oh, what was the other thing? Also, I I didn't really buy his whole thing of Lady Cranley was like, you know, there's a dead body here. We 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 can't afford a scandal. And he was like, oh, okay. I was like, that's no, that that doesn't come across right. Mm. And also, like, you know, the very half hearted thing of, like, you know, oh, I'm a time traveler. I told you wouldn't believe me. And it's like, you're not even. Because like, you mentioned an earthly child. And I actually went back and I watched Hartnell's uh, kind of like his back and forth with Ian mm. over the whole thing. And it, and it's like, you know, like when I told you the story, like, you could believe me whether you choose to or not. Where here it's just a bit more of a I'm pulling things out of my arse approach to it, you know? Um, and even like when they, like other doctors, like when Tom did it or even when uh, Patrick did it, there is this whole thing of like, okay, yeah, you say the words of like, I told you you're not going to believe me type thing and I can try to explain to you as many times as you want. But yeah, with Peter's, I and I think it's the script. It's just like, it's like, he says it if he's kind of like, oh, these people are kind of stupid enough to believe I could be a time traveler because they read H.G. Wells. Um, 
Yeah, so like, not, not really great on this one, to be honest with you. I have just remembered another thing, well, two other things, actually, which is, he says that he, he knew it was George the minute Lady Cranley showed him the Black Orchid. Yeah. How? You're going to explain the Black Orchid more information to us? Like, you just knew? You just knew. Yeah. Okay. But also, I think this story was really missing a. It sounds weird to say it, but, uh, you know, here now, Timmy, like, you know, a moral lesson. Mm. Because like, you'd expect him to go off on Lady Cranley. Mm-hmm. Either in a sort of uh, blustery, sort of um, Hartnell, Pertwee, or Tom kind of way. Or in a sort of more friendly, sort of, I hear now, kind of Troughton kind of mm. way. To sort of say, like, what the fuck were you doing? Like, what the fuck, man? Like, mm. look what's happened now because you didn't try to help him. Instead, you tried to lock him away. You know, did did your public image mean that much to you? We didn't get it. Like, the episode ends no. and everyone's all happy, happy. Your man's fucking dead. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's all happy, happy. I'm like, what the fuck? It's, it's so, like, the... Tonal fucking of it's all over, and like when you just mentioned about like you know will you see her here, Timmy? Sorry, John and Norm, um, um, because like there's a documentary movie out now at the moment called The Mission about that fella that tried to go onto that island off the coast of India to convert the natives to Christianity, mm. and it's like the whole discourse over is it a tragedy or is it um vanity slash narcissism and here it's like it kind of reminds you of this thing where it's like you know is there a moral and it's like well like surely george would have known that the orchid would have been important or sacred to this particular tribe so again the whole thing of taking the orchid how would he have known well if he's if he's if he's like my whole thing is that, like, well, again, because everything is kind of explained so poorly, my headcanon is that it's, if his whole area of expertise is the Amazon, then surely he would know flora, fauna, as well as indigenous groups within the, because she knows that, Lady Cranley knew the tribe, and she, like, she knew the story of how it was a sacred idol to them. But did she find so that after, in fact? Did... Um, Quite Latoni. Did Latoni explain it to her? Because my read of it was he didn't know. Mm. But again, we don't. The, the, it was two episodes. Yeah, it, it was really it's, it's two explained. episodes. Yeah. I don't know. He was it. No, I was going to say he needed that guide from Raiders of the Last Ark. But I was like, no, no, he doesn't need that guide. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, like I'm not a fan of the Doctor in this one. I think he comes across as, as I said, very dumb, mm. and also not assertive. Mm. Like there's there's stuff here which would we've seen the Doctor kick off about in previous stories, and there's not a peep out of him. I do wonder if the writers are, and it's going to be interesting to see how this progresses over the rest of the season into the next two seasons. 
I do wonder if the writers have fallen into a bit of a trap where they're writing the Doctor as young because the actor is young as opposed to writing the Doctor as the oldest he's ever been. Do you know? That they're writing him as if he's younger than Tom, as if he's younger than John and Patrick and Bill. Whereas actually the character is older than all of them. And so he should have learned the lessons from all of them. I wonder if they're falling into that trap with him. Um, Very, very possibly. Like the end of the visitation would kind of lend credence to that a small bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see how it progresses. Mm. So then we have the companions. So what way do you want to do this? Uh, Least interesting to somewhat interesting. So Adric, I feel for Matthew Waterhouse. Mm. Because they gave him nothing. No. Absolutely. I can understand him not wanting to do the dancing bit. I don't see Adric being interested in dancing either. So he kind of dodged a bit of a bullet there where it is in character for him not to be. I don't think it's in character for him to be so obsessed with food. But I suppose it's the only other thing that he could be obsessed with. What I would have liked to have seen Mm -hmm. is Adric getting locked in the walls and finding the dead body and being stitched up for murder. Not the doctor. Because Adric is young. He's very opinionated. He speaks without thinking. He's quite gullible. And having him as a young man being pressured by and being thrown under the bus by the likes of Lady Cranley I think would have been a much more effective story. And then you've got the Mm. doctor trying to convince people that Adric didn't do it. But he doesn't know Adric didn't do it because Adric wasn't around. Adric was locked in the walls of the house. And it makes more sense for Adric to trap behind a fake door in a house that he doesn't know than it does for the doctor too. So I think the focal point of this, as in like the the focal character, the character who comes under scrutiny, I think it should have been Adric. Hmm. I think the doctor and Adric need to switch. Yep, I agree. Because it also ties into the fact that they all all saw Adric as being a little bit weird. Um, Hmm. He didn't know how to act. He wasn't replying the way they'd expect him to, to questions and stuff. And they were kind of, like, they being uh, Lady Cranley, Charles and Robert, they were kind of treating him like a child. Mm-hmm. So, for him then to go and kill a servant, I think it would be much more believable for them than the doctor doing it. Mm. I was going to say that there was one flaw with that, but then again, there's one, it's a flaw with the entire fucking story. Um, or is it a flaw with the story? I don't quite know. But I agree that it would have been more interesting if Adric was the one in the hot seat of the Doctor. Yeah. Like the only difference I can see, the only issue I would see with that is that Adric and Nyssa, and therefore Adric and Anne, are about the same height. Hmm. That's easily fixed, make George smaller. Yeah. 
But like, my my thing is like that. Like, where would where's the 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 reason for Adric or the Doctor to murder Anne? Because well, it's not to murder Anne, because or like to, and to didn't, run, like, and like the the implication isn't that George was going to murder Anne. Yeah, sorry, not not. I didn't mean murder Anne, but like it's uh, much more believable of a young man trying to get it on with someone, mm. and a waiter servant discovering I, them I, no, and him I, lashing out. No, I th- I think what I was trying to say was that like I th- I think one part of the story that just didn't need to be a thing was having Anne and Nissa be exact duplicates of each other. It didn't need to be a thing. Yeah, but it also ties in more if Adric doesn't know that the two of them are wearing the same costume because he wasn't mm. around. Like if if you do what I say and you replace the Doctor with Adric. Mm-hmm. Adric knows they look alike, but he doesn't know they're wearing the same costume. Yeah. And, you know, there you have it. He thought it was Nyssa. Do you know? And again, mm-hmm. like, I don't think they would do it on Doctor Who, but Adric's a young man, this is a young woman, they're friends. Da 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 da. You have someone be like, oh, maybe he thought that he was having a romantic rendezvous with Nyssa or something. And it was actually yeah. Anne, but he didn't know that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't. I just think that the whole thing would have worked better um, with Adric as the as the suspect. As yeah, the no, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, because other than that, he didn't do anything. So, yeah. Or, or no, the only thing that he did do was like, um, he just based, he's the the world's best customer at the buffet. Mm. You know. Like he has this constant look of "oh, don't mind if I do" <laughs> on his face when there's no one around, you know. Um, so yeah, like I, Jesus, he he just contributes nothing at all, and it's really, I like it's a shame because, you know, we know that Earthshock is the Adric's last appearance. Spoilers. We've talked about it before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can really. Um, but it's Adric's last appearance, and he's been on a, a huge downslope since yeah. Legopolis. And like here, we have an opportunity, or at least there's a potential for him to oh get back on track. No, he just spends the entire thing stuff in his face. I even would have loved to have seen him have like a Luke Smith moment where you know the Doctor says something, or like you know, Doctor, where have you been? He's like, oh, I got trapped mm. in the walls. And you've got, like, Sir Robert being like, you got trapped in the wall. What the fuck are you talking about? And mm. Adric has a thing, he's like, well, actually, the internal dimensions of these rooms do not match with the external yeah. dimension of the house. There is yeah, clearly like, uh, significant secret passages, like Luke did in um, Invasion, no, uh, Revenge of the Sylvain. Or even um, City of Death, Romana 2. Yeah, do you know, I think that would have been interesting. It would have been a good contribution by the character, but as I said, did nothing. Yeah. So, do we move on? Yep. Uh, so, so, who do you think did the next most amount of stuff? I'm going to go with Tegan. 
I think Nissa is interesting because the Nissa and Anne connection. Mm. I didn't hate Tegan in this. Yeah. I thought she was actually probably one of the highlights. She was fucking loving life. Having the mm-hmm. time. You were almost having a hoolie, like, being like, oh my god, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in the history of ever. Yeah. Because I get to dance the Charleston in a time period where people wouldn't think I'm a weirdo. Um, and yet she was just living her best fucking life. She didn't do anything. No. Like I said, I don't... I can't remember if it was her or Nyssa who had the idea of going to the TARDIS. I think you're right. I think it was Nyssa. I think um, it was Nyssa. She didn't actually do anything. But... She's fucking... Having the time of her life? Fucking brilliant. I like... Yeah, it's like, nice to see her have like, fun. Yeah, because like as an Aussie, you know, now I'm not saying that all Aussies love cricket, but at least she has, the, she knows of the game and she's able to appreciate the doctor's skill mm. at it. Uh, and then it's just like, as an whole, Earthling in general, yeah, just, she has that over Earthling, the other yeah. two. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like, I don't think many Irish would give a fuck for it, you know. But mm. um, no, but like, I, um, there's. There's that element of it. Like, it, it's a precursor, or it seems very reminiscent of a story that I fucking absolutely adore way further down the line. Mm. Uh, Unicorn and the Wasp. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, which is a whole fucking different thing. Unicorn and uh, I will say, I will say, not to spoil our overall, Unicorn and the Wasp yeah. is this story done way better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, hugely better. Um, and Yeah, like, so, like, it's... She's she's having she's having fun. There is one thing though, and again, it's just it, it doesn't really play into anything. Um, like they do this thing for like Tegan is the only one that knows the difference mm. between the two, but it never comes up. Ever. Yeah, and it's like why was that a thing? Because even at the end. When the doctor confronts George on the roof, he just looks at Nissa's face. He doesn't look for the birthmark or anything like mm. that. And it's like, doesn't play into the resolution at all. It is a massive red herring. Yeah. And it is too which big is a red again, herring for a two part story. Which is why, again, if you flip it and have the accused be Adric, hmm. it would have played in a bit more, I think, because you would have yes. had Adric. Being like Nissa, why are you accusing me of attacking you? Yeah. Do you know? Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think for for Tegan, she had a great time. She she had brilliant yeah. conversations with uh, Sir Robert. Mm-hmm. Seems to have really well with him. Fucking living her yeah. best life. And as a funeral present, she was given a fancy dress costume. Yeah, as Tinkerbell. I still can't get over the fucking fact that they were given presents at the end of a funeral. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nissa. Um, I think at this at, at this point, you know, people are probably guessing the trend of where this might score. <laughs> Nissa. Nissa's is interesting in this one because she gets to have fun, and she mm-hmm. clearly is having great fun. 
Mm-hmm. But it's all superficial. Because, yes. like Tegan, she doesn't actually do anything. Like I said, she maybe has the idea about the TARDIS, but that's it. We don't, like, I would love to have had a scene, now I know obviously because of the budget and the split screen effect it would have been difficult to do it. I would have loved to have a scene where Anne told her about George. Mm. What he was like, the things he liked, etc. Um, and that she tried to use that to get him to let her go. Um, but yeah, she was there. She looked like Anne. Um, and <laughs> androids of Tara, it was not. <laughs> No. No. <laughs> Put that way. <laughs> um, there was oh oh god, I was, I was thinking back to Androids of Tara. I loved that whole sequence. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, she was having fun, getting to know more about Earth. She got to have fun with Tegan. They got to connect with each other in just a mm. girls being friends kind of way, which was nice. It was nice that she got to have fun. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Bar that being also, kidnapped she, for five seconds. Like, yeah, that. she she gets to show off her 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 aptitude for dancing. Yep, because she's, she's very fast learner. Pretty, she is a very fucking fast learner. Um, <laughs> I just said. Uh, um, recently watched uh, a couple of clips of Friends. No. Uh, and there's one where like one of Rachel's sisters comes and like you know she she just doesn't really care about anyone else. She's kind of narcissistic, and she confuses Phoebe, uh, Phoebe's name for Emma. So or so whenever like she's greets her as Emma, Phoebe just goes no Phoebe. And was like, why does she keep making that noise? Here it kind of felt very similar to when Nissa was like every time someone would just look at this and go Worcestershire or Worcester. I was like, why do people keep saying that at me? Yeah, I do think that was hilarious that they all kept thinking that she was from wherever, yeah. and she's just like, um, I no. don't think she's like, dim, dim. I actually, that was one thing that, like, I, I think it was like the, probably the funniest part of the whole story is that, tr- like, trying to, like, the, the Cranleys and Sir Robert trying to, like, figure out where stuff is in accordance with the known world at the time. It was like oh for the the the, the, the track and empire oh that's near East Shore isn't it <laughs> and then like it's like oh uh, Adric um Sc- oh, was it uh, Scandinavian no he's Algerian oh I could never really keep up with all those Eastern <laughs> like all those uh, Eastern Bloc countries or something like that or Baltic areas <laughs> I'm like for fuck's sake um but yeah like her she's just like when she's not having fun she's either confused as to why people keep saying the strange word at her or she's kidnapped by a horribly mutilated and also mentally afflicted soul Mm. yeah so it's just like it was nice to see her have the fun and as I said the connection with Tegan and that 
their connection over the last two episodes has gotten really strong, and it does lend credence, like, credence to the um, the ship of those two characters. Mm. Like you can see, it's, it is kind of a natural type thing. You can see it going that way. Um, it, but the one thing that's obvious just from the three people that we've talked about is that Nissa Prishy is still kind of the Watson to the Doctor's yeah. poems, you know. Um, so. And it's it's strange because like this is the this is the first three person t- or four person TARDIS we've had since Ben Polly Jamie and two. Mm-hmm. If and we exclude like, K nine, if we exclude K nine, uh, but no, we can even we can even include that. It's just like that. It, it feels like. There is like an actual, you can see an actual hierarchy almost. Mm. Whereas, like with other four-person tardises, it did feel like kind of over a, a commune than it did a, a hierarchy side of things. Yeah, like what I find interesting in this story in particular, and this will, I will probably come back to my overall is so this story, two episodes, three companions. Mm-hmm. Previous two episodes story, this entire experiment. Two episodes, two companions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Done very well. Mm-hmm. Then we have Edge of Destruction. Two episodes, three companions. We had so much to talk about about each of them. It is... I think maybe that's a this topic, because I also have notes mm-hmm. on this particular... Maybe save this for the overall. Yeah. Because I feel like that this might lend itself towards scoring more sort of character discussion. Yeah, but I, but I but I agree, we did have more to talk about. Yeah, and more distinctive things to talk about. Yes. Let's move on to our prominent characters, shall we? Yeah. So we have the Cranleys of Lady Cranley, Charles and George, and then Anne and oh, and, and Sir Robert as well. Yeah. So what way do you want to do it? Do you want to leave George to the end, or would you like to include him in the... Let's leave George to the end, because he's a... I think George is probably... Villain by association. Villain by, villain associ- by circumstance. Villain by circumstance. Circumstance. Um, let's go up and down the ladder, shall we? So we've got Anne, Sir Robert, Charles, Lady Cranley, and then George. Um, yeah. Anne is there. Mm-hmm. And seems very nice. And mm. and Nissa get along very well. She seems quite funny, quite engaging. Um, understandably blamed the doctor because your man was wearing his mask. She mm. picked out the costumes. She would know. That all makes sense. Um, surprise, she's sticking around. Not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> mm. uh, so... Your fiancé is the brother of your former fiancé. Okay, seems mm-hmm. weird nowadays. Not that weird. Yeah, you no, it, it was a thing 100, that... 120 years ago. Um, yeah, that uh, another brother would step up to the plate. Yeah. Um, also, she's been around this family her whole life. It's entirely possible that she mm. fell in love with Charles after George's mm. quote-unquote death. <laughs> and then she finds out the truth. Mm-hmm. That they were keeping George locked up in some weird second level of the house, as in, like, beneath the surface level of the house. Mm. And 
Charles knew. And yet she's sticking around. Um, no, lady, run, leave, go. No, actually, just that does bring up a question. Did Charles actually know I think the whole time? Yes, he did. All right. Because, like, like that's the thing. If, if he did know the whole time, then absolutely, yeah, no, fucking run. Pike up the skirt and run. But it's like, I know that he's... I, I, I think, again, because the resolution is so fast, it's like, did he actually know, or is he only supporting his mother after being recently told this? I think he knew. Okay. I think he knew. In which case, and to be honest, even if he didn't know, still run. Still run, yeah. No, because your mother-in-law's your, your mother-in-law's your mother-in-law, yeah. Go, very, very fucking far away from these people. Um, I feel bad for her. Obviously, um, I think Sarah Sutton did a great job, by the way. Um, so massive kudos to her for playing the two characters. Very well done. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Anne is there. She is damsel in distress. I think she should have run. Hmm. Also, I would have liked to have seen more of her. Again, so if we didn't have Nissa trying to, I would have liked to have seen her try to get through to George when he takes Nissa Nissa hostage. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe admit that she still loved him. Mm-hmm. And sort she's sorry that she's marrying his brother, but she didn't fucking know that he wasn't dead. So, sort of a 2005 version of King Kong, you know, where yeah. there was actually an empathetic relationship between Kong and Anne. Yeah, except these two were actually in love at one point. Hmm. Is the weird thing? Um, uh, no, I'm gonna go. We'll talk about that when we get to George. Talk to Mr. George. Okay. Um. Yeah. Any other thoughts you had about Anne? Um. Other than the simple fact that this story works the exact same without her looking like Nissa. Yes. Well, it works. The yeah. resolution, or like the resolution, but like the the final conflict doesn't really work because you don't really have one. Well, uh, no. Like he can he can still run up to the roof with her, and the doctor and George can still go up there and try and reason with him. To, oh yeah, to let her but go. like, yeah. Would the doctor care as much? I think he would. I think I think the doctor would still try and save her. Oh yeah, but like, would he run through a burning building? Mm, he would have probably tried to climb the trellis with yeah. door, uh, with Charles. Yeah, but he wouldn't have run yeah. through the burning building. I don't think. No, no, he wouldn't have run through the burning building. So, yeah, but yeah, no, I just like. Oh, her, she, as you said, as <laughs> there was just no need. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. At the end of the day, and for the love of God, woman, run, run back to Worcestershire, um, and stay away from the Cranleys. Take Sir Robert with you. Um, you can get a restraining order. Uh, yeah. I, I honestly, I don't. I don't really have anything to say about Anne. Like she is a she's a lovely girl who is brought through a very traumatic experience. Her trust is shattered in the people that she thought she could trust. So, yeah. 
like she's probably the biggest victim in this whole thing. Herself and George are probably the biggest victims in this whole story. Yeah. Um then we have Sir Robert who she, Anne clearly has a really good relationship with. Mm-hmm. And he clearly cares about her a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if she's like he's like a beloved uncle or a godfather or something. Um I think I think probably that close familial connection that he is, you know, quote unquote uncle. Yeah. Um I quite like Sir Robert. He's a nice guy. He gets mm. along well with everybody. He doesn't jump to conclusions. He he follows the evidence and he's willing to have his mind changed when you actually present him with evidence and not just in his mind a wild story. Does he mm. lean more towards believing Lady Cranley? Yes. But he did still go upstairs to look at this dead body. It just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think overall, I think he's a nice guy. Um, he's a good dancer. Uh, <laughs> seems to get along really well. Um, I'm glad he wasn't either a a bumbling buffoon or b a sort of elitist asshole. Yeah, he was. He wasn't like a space cop from Hor- uh, Nightmare of Eden. Um, actually, you know, I was, just, I was going to say something, I'll say that at the end of Sir Robert. Um, he is, he's chief constable for, uh, you get the impression that he's still chief constable for a reason. Mm. And this, uh, like, yeah, his position may have gotten him there initially, but his credibility, his dedication to justice, and also I think he's just good calm demeanor has kept him there because mm. as you say like he doesn't rush to conclusions for the sake of familial connections he gives the doctor look i'm giving you every opportunity to convince me that she is mistaken you're going with time traveler fair enough <laughs> <laughs> please come with me um, I was actually going to just say, because it was bothering me, you know his sergeant? Mm. Uh, was that, he's actually been in two other stories of Doctor Who. He was Odysseus in The Myth Makers, oh. and he was also the fucking head of the security force in the Space Museum. No wonder I didn't fucking like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you did actually remind me of something as well. So... Uh, so Robert asks the doctor, um, look, do you have any identification? Because you're clearly not who we thought you were. Mm. Do you have any identification? He's like, no, I've never had to carry that. Bullshit. You did. Just Liz Shaw used to carry it for you. Yeah. Also, why didn't you just say John Smith? Like, you've used it before. Like, mm. how funny would it have been to use the John Smith line, he pulls out the ID card, and it's got fucking John Pertwee's face on it. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um but that would have meant good writing in the story. So um <laughs> What was your yeah. other Sir Robert thing? Oh like that he's re- <laughs> remarkably like actually the entire Cranley area police force they're fucking remarkably accepting of the, the TARDIS. 
they all poked their head and it's like, oh my god, this technological marvel. And it's like, then it's like, oh, uh, yeah, it's just like rather than being completely lost for words, it's like the big gawkish stare, and it's like, what was the phone call? Oh, sorry, there's trouble at the the, the matter. Like it's very carry on constable type thing almost um yeah but no i think of the supporting characters i liked him the most mm. i'd agree yeah. i'd agree and, and plus his like relationship with tegan was great like it's like you always get the impression that he's like oh if i was 20 years younger <laughs> i'd pursue you yeah i kind of she's like oh if i was 20 years older I'd let you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we have... I would say Charles comes next. Yeah. Because of that, if we were error, I'm convinced he knew and you think maybe he didn't. Um, it's weird seeing Simerson be nice. Mm. I had to laugh that his actual outfit was that of a fucking <laughs> Napoleonic general. Um... <laughs> I wonder if, like, when they were doing, like, auditions for Sharp, he's like, here you go. <clears throat> yes, here's a picture of me in preparation. Yeah. Um, I do have to correct myself on something I said in the earlier segment. Um, I said he was in Call the Midwife. He was. I got his character confused. He does play um, a... Uh, it's in Downton Abbey, isn't it? No, no, it's in Call the Midwife. Um, he, I, I thought he played the Reverend from season... Two. He doesn't. He plays the dad, like a lord, the dad of a guy um, in the show. Uh, in season 12, I got my characters confused. Uh, oh no, because like, I looked it up just to see how, um, just to see if there was a character introduction about his, or if there was a Wikipedia entry. And I was like, wait, mm-hmm. wait she said reverend, but he plays a reverend in Downton Abbey. And I yeah, know, no, no, I got, I, got, I, I got my, I got my, I got my shows confused. I got my shows confused. Um, and oh, my, sorry. and my characters. Also, sorry, we're really annoying people that don't like Sharp, but I don't care. Uh, the guy that played uh, the Prince of Wales in Sharp's Regiment mm. actually is the creator of Downton Abbey. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. That's good to know. Mm. Um, anyway, back around to Simerson. I'm in Charles. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really liked him. I really liked him. Mm. Up until I didn't. Um I think he knew. I think he knew. And it makes it. It gives everything the ick. If he knew. But then also. He didn't come clean to Anne. When. She was blaming the doctor. He didn't come clean. And say. Mm. No. He didn't tell her outright but like she had to find out when everyone else like came in and the police like sir robert came back or whatever and so everything up until that point kind of gets wiped away with this ick of i'm convinced he knew i'm convinced he knew and it really makes me sad um also the ending Mm. where he goes to give his brother a hug his brother is apparently repulsed at this idea. 
it's <laughs> just back and falls off the roof. Um, I don't know whether Charles is relieved because now there's no chance of Anne getting back together with George. I don't know if he's upset because he just wants his brother commit, you know, uh, suicide by help um, mm. of gravity, or what? Like I didn't get an emotional reaction from him that would have led credence to either he didn't know or he was just following his mother's lead and like he really loved his brother. I didn't get any of that. <laughs> like, okay, you were a nice guy in episode one, you gave me the ick in episode two. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had a, a huge smile on my face the minute I saw him and the smile didn't leave until the end of episode two. Uh, because I really enjoy Michael Cochran's acting. He's really, really good. And here we're just seeing a nice version of Simerson. Um, I was just reading up there. There's a sequel book to this that features Anne after she's married Charles. Oh, no, Anne, run! Run! (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's like... He doesn't deserve you. (laughs) They like so. I really enjoy. It's not even like. I would say the first half of the second episode, mm. Charles is still a, at least a confirm or like you know at least an on screen he's a good character, because he doesn't go fully fucking. Um, what we said about Sir Robert, Charles mm. is the same. He gives Doctor every opportunity uh, to explain who he is, all that kind of stuff, and then he goes. Then he he's okay with following the letter of the law. But what I liked about him as well is that, and I think this kind of lends a bit of credence or lends something to the argument that he didn't know. Is that he cannot let the doc? He, he even says that he can't let the doctor face charges, knowing that it was George that did the killings. Like he refuses to let an innocent man, just for the sake of the family name. Yeah, I read. I get what you mean. I read that more to be that like he knows it was George, and he feels responsible for George. And he can't let an innocent man take the blame for something George did. Yeah. I don't see that supporting him not knowing about George all along. Mm. Um, but I do think it's an interesting part of his character. Um, I would I would be curious to read the novelization part of the revelation to see mm. whether or not Charles knew. Because yeah. I, I had to... I was, cause, I wanted to look up there. Even like the the TARDIS wiki page is very sparse on what confirming whether or not he knew all along. Yeah, the writing on it just does not make it clear. Um, no, it it, do, it doesn't. Which is very annoying. I, yeah, because it this is a thing that kind of really splits. Like I think, like I think it splits a character. Or appreciation of a character, because you're left with this thing of like going, is he a scumbag or is he actually just a decent person? Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, and it's frustrating because it was nice seeing a nice Simerson. <laughs> um, so then we have Lady uh, Cranberry. <laughs> Lady Cranberry. Um, I don't think she has a redeeming quality. Nope. I think she's I just a bitch who puts status and public perception above her family mm. and above everybody else. And doesn't try to get help for her son. Instead, keeps him tied up on a bed with a constant guard. Mm -hmm. Given the extent of the hidden fortress that is inside that house, he could have very easily been, I mean, still hidden away, which is bad, but I is bad. Her her initial decision was bad. Mm. But she could have tried to make sure that he lived a as much of a fulfilled life as he could in a cage. Mm -hmm. Instead he was in a cage and he was locked up. Yeah. With no chance of recovery and getting better. Um like because we just see him locked up, like tied up the whole time. So, and we're not going to be any indication that he spends his life any other way. Hmm. Because, like, he is quite, like, we see that he is quite lucid in this, in the sense of he's able to put on the doctor's outfit, mingle very successfully, not hmm. give, like, he plays the part, does the dance the whole lot. And it isn't until Anne tries to get away that the, you know, the more primal, part of his yeah. brain kicks in. Yeah. So like, it's like And we like he's been locked away for what did I say, two years or something? Two two years. Two years. Like Lady, what the fuck? I, like, she does not have a redeem I don't care that she gave them dresses as presents. I don't care oh, that's... about all of that. She does not have a single redeeming quality. No. Maybe we would have should we should have talked about George before we talked about her. Well no, because I think George is the antagonist. She's just a bitch. Mm. Um, like, two people who work for her died and she wanted to hush it up. Like, yeah. Well, you know, as I said, like, that's just fucking... I like, like the the second the first death, it's kind of like as I said, that's really weird with the doctor, in the sense of like, why are you okay with this? Mm. Like you've never been okay. You've never been okay with this. So why are you okay with it? And then in relation, as I said, to the second death, Charles's reaction is that leads me to again just lend towards he does he doesn't know. But as you said, it's not determined one way or the other. Mm. Lady, yeah, Lady Cranley's whole thing is about saving face. Up until the fucking bitter end. You know? Yeah. And you totally know that she's going to try to get Sir Robert to brush all of this under the rug. No one's going to know whatever happened. People will still think that George died two years ago. The wedding will go ahead. They'll all have happy families mm. and fucking run. Yeah. Um, because that's what women in her position do. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Bitch. 
So we move on to King Kong. <laughs> so this season is continuing down its sort of Phantom of the Opera route, which mm. is weird. Um, I just feel bad for George. He did two terrible things in killing people, for which... <sighs> I mean, the first one, it was to escape. And maybe it speaks to him being out of his mind, or maybe it speaks to his own entitled nature. That wasn't that guy's fault that you were locked up. His job is to bring you food. You know, and you can say, like, oh, he was out of his mind, he killed him out of, you know, reaction. Or you can say that he was a means to an end. But I think the fact that he hit him in a cupboard does kind of speak to George's entitlement that comes with his position. Do you know? We don't see George trying to get your man on his side, trying to convince anyone to free him. And because of his more lucid moments, like you described a while ago, we don't know how much of his action is mania and how much of it mm. is just anger. Because in some ways, he comes across as angry and entitled. Angry for a justifiable reason, but he's directed at the wrong people. And entitled in the sense that as soon as he gets out, he thinks he can take Anne without revealing to her who he is. And he shows no more remorse for the people that he's killed, and he hides one of them in the cupboard. And I'm like, okay. What happened to him was terrible. And I do think he's a villain by circumstance. But the story doesn't make it clear how cognizant he is. Because his mother says he's mad, but he's clearly very methodical and very lucid at times. So we don't know how mad he is. So it's like, you've had a shitty thing happen to you that doesn't justify you killing two people and kidnapping, to his mind, the same woman twice. Mm. And locking one of them in a room to, I imagine, have his way with her later. With like, There is no justification for that behaviour. There's um, a cause, but that a cause is not a justification. I mean, it, it does not excuse what he did. Um, I feel bad for the fucker that, like, there is no justice for him. Like, no one serves just serves any sort of um, penance for what they did to him. Mm-hmm. And his penance for what he did is that he falls off the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a very tragic character. And I equate him to the Phantom of the Opera because... The Phantom does terrible things. <laughs> yes. But part of you does still kind of want to root for him. Mm. Um, particularly in the musical version. Haven't read the book, so can't say. Um, but yeah, I think he's very Phantom-esque. But with the understanding that the Phantom is the antagonist. And mm-hmm. George is also... Victim or not, he is also the antagonist in the story. Hmm. How about you? 
So it's interesting that I think we might have similar yet different takes on the character. Because you went down the Phantom of the Opera route, which is, mm. yeah, no, like, completely get it. I'm not, I'm half joking when I say the King Kong route, because I go down the Peter Jackson version, mm. which, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but there's, in the original version, it is just like this beast that wants this woman, mm. you know, ooh, pretty thing. 2005's one, it's, there is more of a connection between Kong and Anne mm. in the, in the, in this, like, he wants her as his mate, but knowing that she won't be that way, he wants her with him. Mm. No. And everything that Kong does is usually in either defense of Anne or it's in the desire to kind of like, no, no, she's with me. And he does things to the heroes. And he does, like, you know, characters you like die because of the fact that they're in his way. And it's like, yeah, it's horrible to see them die because of that. And it does kind of make you kind of go, he is still antagonistic here. Uh, but where that kind of thing loses and it goes more into the phantom side of things is that, yes, George is the one that kills the, 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 the other character, Digby. Mm-hmm. No, we have no idea what the kickoff to that is. We have no idea how George has been treated. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yes, we see that he's wearing clothes, but is he forced into that? Are they, is he constantly just shackled, excuse me, up? Or does he have any bit of free time or any bit of thing where he's allowed to wander the halls? We don't know. We don't know what the, the, the kickoff is to him fucking murdering the guy. Mm-hmm. And then he hides the, he hides the body. We don't know is it out of fear for repercussion. We don't know is that it was some sinister plot. And then when he kidnaps Anne and Talbot, that is, it's he doesn't want to let her get away because, you know, oh, it's the two of us that we're together again. Cause even when he puts her into the bed, he like he hides from her. Like he yeah. hides in the corner until she gets up. Cause he's just, I suppose, again afraid of what might happen. And like, and then when he kidnaps Nissa at the end, he, yeah, he brings her to the roof because he's just in a state of panic, but he's still very gentle with her the mm. whole time. And they appeal to that gentle nature. So I'm like, how much of it, like, is there an element of he is a sinister villain here versus is he just completely re- regressed to primal instinct? Because of what happened to him. Yeah. I, I, I think it's... I think it was a big story try to, that they tried to turn into episodes. But but this is the thing. And like, we're going to go into it now in a small bit of time. It's like that. We we talked... Two previous stories. Santaran Experiment. Edge of Destruction. Two perfectly paced stories. Mm. One of them got a 5 from us. One got a 4.5. They're perfectly paced. Like, and there's so much told in it, but everything is, it, nothing feels overburdened or nothing feels wasted or anything like that. We get a perfect explanation for everything that happens. Here, it's long stretches of nothing, rushed resolution. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about more in the overall, but I think where I think that this was a bigger story trying to be told in two episodes is really the expiration of George as a character. 
Um, yeah. I think, could this story have stretched to a four-parter? No. Could it have been a good three-parter? Maybe. Yes. Could it have been a better um, insight into George and into Charles if there wasn't as much cricket and dancing? Yes. Mm. Yeah, um, no, definitely. But do you know what? let's talk about that in our overall. Yeah. So we have arrived at the overall section where now we will give our final thoughts and each give us sto- the story a score of five. So Trish, you did socials first, you did characters first, you get to do overall first. Okay, leading on from what we were just talking about. As a two-parter, I think this story fails. Yes. Doing a two-parter in the current Doctor Who format. So 30 minutes or 20, what, 27 minutes times two. It has been done right the two previous times it was done. Like I said, Edge was fucking amazing. I know a lot of people are getting into Bill Hartnell again because there's the colorization of the Daleks. There's, you know, um, episodes are now like, the entire back catalogue being available on BBC iPlayer, there's stuff coming to Disney, da da da, da right? Um, you know, the season two box set was released and whatever. Mm. I highly encourage everyone to watch Edge because it is yeah. so fucking good. Ideally, you'd watch the first three in order, but there's issues with the first one if you don't have it already, whatever. Yeah. Watch Edge. Suntaran mm. Experiment. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, just. Uh, at the very least, Edge wraps up the initial character arc for the first Doctor. Yes. To get him to where this thing of his relationship with Barbara and Ian is on the smoother pathway. Yeah. Um, but it serves a function, right? It is a mm-hmm. end cap to a process of development for the character that leads us into the Doctor we all know and love, right? It is the end yes. cap to that initial arc, and it serves a purpose. And it being two episodes long... Is perfect. It's exactly as long as it needs to be. Jump mm. forward, we have Santaran Experiment, which serves a different purpose in mm. the sense that it's a two-parter because the following episode, like the like, just the way the season was structured, they had two episodes, and so they mm. made a two-parter. But it is a two-parter that is perfect, damn near, um, because we have Sarah's connection to uh, Lynx, and then obviously the new Suntaran. We have Harry being able to really be sort of more the action man role. We have a couple of side characters. This is the thing. Edge had no side characters. It was the definition of a bottle episode. Suntaran had the Suntaran, or Suntaran experiment had the Suntaran, and it had the crew of the human ship. And mm-hmm. Suntaran was the antagonist. Cool. Very obvious. The other guys, we didn't explore that much, because we didn't need to. No. Then we have this story. 
which I don't see why it exists. It feels to me like they had stories they wanted to tell and they realized they had two episodes left. Like I said, the reason it was done with Suntaran is because the stories they were telling weren't going to stretch to include that too. Mm-hmm. But it still continues an arc. It continues on from the arc in space. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Um, but with this one, it doesn't seem to serve a purpose. Why have this story be two parts? Um, and like I said, if you took out the cricket and the dancing, you actually may have had a good story because you could have devoted that time to character development and exploration. As it is, we have too many characters. The characters we want to see more from, our companions, do nothing. The story-based characters don't have enough time to develop. The only person we get any sort of insight into really is Lady Cranley, which is she's a bitch. Um, the Doctor is there. Our companions are there. I mean, does it have its fun bits? Yeah, I mean, Tegan's having the fucking time of her life. Mm. If you like Tegan, off you go. If you like Sarah Sutton and you want to see her doing something a bit more challenging, great. She's playing two characters. That's fucking fantastic. But from a story perspective, I don't see the point. Like... You could have done an amazing bottle episode. You could have done a great whodunit with two episodes, and you didn't. Um, so to be honest, and I'm only giving it this because I thought Tegan was great, genuinely. Um, I'm giving it a 1.5. Otherwise, I would have given it, like... I, I, I wouldn't want to give it less than a one just because it's not the gunfighters no. but it, it's not that much better and Tegan scores a half point on her own because she's the only reason I would rewatch this is because Tegan's having a fucking laugh how about you? Um, so we're I think we've been in agreement the whole way along so like I don't think there's any reason to rock that train at the moment uh, just on going back to Santara a, a small bit, you talked about the characters that characters we didn't really have to explore. We didn't have to explore them because their dialogue was enough exposition to give us what mm. is going on. Yeah. And as well, if you if if you want, Santaran can be like to use modern terminology, it's a nice little DLC for mm. the Ark in space. Um but yeah, like so we have to, I suppose it's not fair to include Edge because Edge was a different thing. As you said, Edge was a bottle episode or a bottle story that focused on our four main characters with no external influences or no external actors. It was just the four of them. Santaran is probably the best one to do. And Santaran, again, is fleshed out because our companions are each given a role, our doctors given a challenge and the side characters are they're pretty are pretty much for exposition mm. and they do the job beautifully here though there is a massive failing on in terms of the writing i think mm. like this the script like you can tell that 
the or the writer's name who's low escapes me, but you can tell that the anecdote you said earlier about him just put. Yeah, Terence, you you know that that anecdote is true, that he just fucking found an old murder mystery script he had and tacked in the doctor to it, you know? Mm. Like, this would work well as an actual Agatha Christie-esque murder mystery thing. But as a Doctor Who story, it just doesn't work. Mm. It, it really doesn't. Because, like... I know, hey, at one point I was going, yay, we're going back to pure historicals. I get no pure historical vibes from this, you know? It's just, it's like a weird mishmash of the two things thrown together. Whereas, like, before, like, the the historicals felt, you know, like, it, it felt natural. Here it's just like, yeah, no, we're just slamming something together that doesn't really fit. Um... Also, the, another big problem is that there's no suspense whatsoever. Mm. Like, okay, you know that, excuse me, you know that, okay, when you pull up to Cranley Hall, oh, right, fair enough. The fucking guy is being kept in a room up on the top floor of that building. He's clearly some connection to the family. And then when you find out, oh, that was my son, George, you know, he brought it back. Oh, it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to jump to conclusions here. Indian in the fucking attic with a guy that's kind of psychotic. Your son died after losing his mind in the Amazon. I know who's in the attic. And the suspense is, the, the suspense is gone. And I've talked before about how I've watched certain movies and the suspense goes because I figure it out. I want to see how the resolution plays out. I, I, I'm intrigued. I had no intrigue here. Nothing was hooking me in. I gave this a one, and that one is down to, yes, it is not gunfighter's territory, and the gun mainly comes from, said the gun, the one mainly comes from, as I said, Tegan and Nissa having a bit of happiness, and also Charles. I quite like Charles for the majority of the story. Hmm. So, this is our lowest of Peter, obviously. Um, Mm-hmm. It's not our it's our combined lowest. Well, uh, Destiny of the Daleks is the last one that scored this low. So, like on average, we gave this a one point two five, and mm. uh, Destiny of the Daleks was a one. Yeah. Um. So it's a little bit better than Destiny. Um. I mean. Your mileage may vary on that. Um, we often don't look at how we like. The only reason why I said I, w- I wouldn't give it less than a one mm. is because less than a one is really reserved for yeah, like what the thundering fuck. Um, but yeah, I would like, even, say sorry, yeah. What? Even the ending to this, like the like the ending is so weird. Like they come from the funeral. The trio get their presents, and Lady Cranley gives the Doctor George's published book about the Black Orchid, and that's it. It just ends. It's like yeah, like the interesting thing is that like again, it's, uh, we have to keep comparing it to Edge and Santarin because it's just such a it, it, uh, it's a different type of story because the two parts are different. Yeah, you cannot skip Edge. No, you cannot. It is impossible. If you're going 
unearthly child, the Daleks, onto um, uh, Marco Polo, mm-hmm. you have to watch Edge. Right? Never mind, it's amazing. You have to watch it. Mm. Or even for for uh, audiences that don't go to the recreations, even if you go from Daleks to Sensorites, Mm. or sorry, no, Keys of Marinus, which I believe is the next one in the chain, you still need to watch Edge to understand the the Doctor's change in character from Daleks to Keys. For Suntaran, I've seen it argued that you could skip Suntaran. They end Ark in space in a transmat. They end Suntaran in a transmat. The transmat gets intercepted. You could arguably skip Suntaran. Mm. But why would you want to? Do you know? If you've any yeah. interest in Sarah Jane as a character, if you've any interest in um, the Suntarans as a villain, the title pulls you in. Right? Mm-hmm. Suntaran experiment. What the fuck is that? I know the Suntarans. Lynx is a great character. In. I'll have to see because I haven't watched next week's story yet but I have a funny feeling you could easily skip from the visitation right to Earthshock and I highly doubt this story plays any part in what comes next and it's not entertaining so don't fucking bother I th- I think from memory, bar the first two minutes, which reference this story, that's it. Yeah, um, and that's sad, like because like if you're going to have a two parter, I get that. Yeah, it's to fill the episode quota for the season and whatever. But like, the other two were so fucking good. Mm. And this one was shit. <laughs> <laughs> And Tegan dancing can only give it so much back in. Yeah. Um. But yeah, do 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 a Matthew and go to the buffet instead and come back when it's over. Yeah. <laughs> but that's our yes. opinion. I would be interested to see if any of our listeners have a differing opinion on this mm, story. Absolutely, um, well, absolutely. When we when we score a story very low. Hmm. I'm always curious if there are people who like they're like, oh, Black Orchid is the best story. What are you on about? It's amazing. If you're that person, let us know, and let mm. us know why. Like, <laughs> but like, I'm like, curious. A great, a great example is City of Death. Like we weren't overly enamored with it, but it is one of the most popular Doctor Who stories of Tom's later run, mm. or it's even one of the most popular Doctor Who stories in general. So it's like. I've seen plenty of discourse around it, discourse that I've had interesting conversations about, but it didn't change my opinion of the story. I don't mm. think my opinion changed anyone else's thing of the story, but it's always nice to see someone else's opinion. Yeah. Um, just giving everyone a bit of an update on average score for the season. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like the trend of the last few seasons is not getting any better Um which is unfortunate. We've had a couple of good episodes, um, but your average for this season so far is a 2.55, and mine is a 2.8. Um, now, season 18 did have a few to bring it back a bit, but not by much. 
we've been really struggling um, since, well, to be honest, since the talents of Wang Chang, which I personally wasn't a big fan of, but we've been struggling mm. since that story, really. I suppose, say, horror of Bang Rock, um, to get mm. consistent good. <laughs> um, and the seasons have been struggling since um, season 14 to get above a three. You know, mm-hmm. um, consistently. So, um, I think it's interesting to see that like, there's two stories left in the season. Like, can they pull it back and get us over a um, over a three on average? Yeah. Like, I think the last consistent run we had was the first half of the Key to Time season with Mary Tam, because you had mm. Rybos, or say even the first four. We had Rybos, Pirate Planet, Stones of Blood, and the Tara. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, so to get no. to get this season over three, I was playing a little bit of um, mental maths. Uh, well, Excel maths. Um, <laughs> what up if I could actually type though? So. Yeah, so I need to give it like a four. The next two stories would each have to get like a four, mm. and you'd have to give them both at least a four point two five. So we'll see. And that's to get the season yeah. average over a three. But we'll yeah. have to see. Also, yes. uh, you're going to hate us. Mm. Our posting schedule is going to get a bit weird. So we're not recording next week because I'll be traveling for work. Mm-hmm. We will record the following week, which would be Earthshock. And then we're taking our Christmas break. <laughs> <laughs> Now, would it be better to leave Earthshock until we come back from our Christmas break and ne- and our next recording we just do like a end of the pod or end of the year uh, or state of the pod uh, type thing like we did last year? You know, get our listeners to send in questions, questions for ourselves, maybe do something fun. We could do that. I think that might be better because otherwise we do Earthshock. We won't have the Adric rambling until the new year. Um, Paul may get upset with us though for not doing <laughs> for not continuing he waited so long for us to get to Peter and I'm just like <laughs> life keeps getting in the way um, do you know what let's make an executive decision right two way doors right. and all that bollocks right um, let's do your plan um, we'll do Paddy's plan so after this episode goes out we'll throw up um, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, call for questions and get them in. And if we don't get any questions from you, we'll fucking ask each other questions, as we always do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, though, roll on something more interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's good. Like uh, until then, like as I said, we've got our shot coming up, so that'll definitely be an interesting one. Yeah. But yeah. we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.